the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts. John Anik and Kenny Florian. Well, I always look forward to doing this show, but especially so today. It is Monday, August 9th, 2021, episode 312 of the Anik and Florian podcast. Mom's basement last week. I'm in my son's bedroom. It's not a nursery. He's fucking three. I'm in my son's bedroom today. Um, So uh, if I lean this way, you see the clouds on the wall and I have the alphabet over my right shoulder. (laughs) Is what it is, man. You know, my house is falling apart. We're fixing it. And uh, when your studio is in your master bedroom, what are you going to do? I I like it. I like the background. The clouds are cute, man. I like it. It Thanks. So uh, so I'm in Hunto's room today and uh, and we are ready to come at you with our UFC 265 recap. We will also be joined by PFL lightweight contender Kayla Harrison. So what is she the former champion and a contender now because she's in the tournament? Do I have that right? Exactly. New right. year, okay. new season. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Just making yeah. sure. New color <laughs> commentator. All right. So we're going to talk to Kayla Harrison towards the end of the program, and I'm just so inspired by her story. So I'm looking forward to that. Longo coming up in about 15 minutes if he uh, if he is awake. And uh, we have a lot to get to because UFC 265 was an absolute monster. What a pay-per-view in Houston, Texas. And we will begin headlines there with Cyril Gan, who is the UFC's interim heavyweight champion, Total domination doesn't even begin to describe it. He eventually got Derek Lewis out of there by TKO. I thought the referee gave the Black Beast a lot of chances to intelligently defend and stay in the fight. Seattle gone is 10-0. He is all the rage, rightfully so, and uh, he's taken a shiny new UFC interim championship belt back to France. Once again, I was blown away by Cyril Gane. You know, here's a guy who looked phenomenal against Volkov, um, was firing on all cylinders, just showed so much versatility, uh, and comfort in the octagon. And he showed that once again here uh, against Derek Lewis. And again, how many guys can you point to that are 10 and 0 that carry that same kind of skill, comfort, and mindset? There's just not many in the world, period. Uh, he's he's an extremely, extremely talented athlete. Everyone talks about Nganu's physical skills. I don't know many people that are that light on their feet who can move in and out like Gon can. I mean, again, just blown away. And again, can we, I'd love to see the stats and John, you may actually have this in the back of your head somewhere of how many times that dude actually gets hit. He does not get hit. I mean, it's unbelievable. His defensive maneuvering and footwork and angles is, is something to behold. He really is a special athlete. And I'm telling you, man, he could he could pull it off and he might have that belt for a long time. What an athlete. What Couldn't a have said it any better. You mentioned the word mindset. What is it going to take to phase this guy? I mean, maybe fighting a guy like Francis Ngannou because of the familiarity, right? Maybe that wrinkle um, would emotionally like elevate his heart rate a tick. But Ken Flo, like I want to talk about the physical gifts. I want to talk about all of the skills. I want to talk about what you talked about, that uh, he's exceedingly hard to hit and offensively he doesn't miss. But it's like yeah. I keep coming back to the mentality. Uh, he's just totally unfazed by all these atmospheric conditions, crowd or no crowd at the apex. Right. Like he's incredible. 
He really is. Again, th this is a guy who is uh, built different than a lot of people out there. You see it physically, but uh, again, in his approach, I mean, here he is fighting Derek Lewis in Derek Lewis's hometown uh, with a huge crowd, main event, interim title on the line, and he's completely unfazed. And then, you know, he talks about the belt. He's like, listen, I got this belt. But it doesn't matter. I'm focused on the real heavyweight belt. That's what I want. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to win this fight. I mean, uh, I, I was just really blown away by his maturity, his approach. Uh, and then, uh, again, he's just a sniper out there as well. Uh, it's rare that you see any UFC fighter in any weight class have that kind of uh, footwork. Uh, and you have a heavyweight who's moving like that, good luck. That's exactly the kind of skill and footwork you need if you want to beat a devastating puncher like a Francis Ngannou. After Jose Aldo's performance, I'm thinking to myself for a minute, we might have to lead the podcast with the King of Rio and then God oh, made dude, sure yeah. that we did not do that. Of course, we're going to get to all of that stuff. But as Cito Gan sort of leads this MMA movement in France and we talk to him about that, he sort of looks at us in deadpans as humbly as he can in our fighter meeting. You know, everyone in the gym started before me, right? I mean, and he right. is a total fucking phenom, man. Absolutely incredible. You know, some early betting lines suggest that he is favored to beat Francis Ngannou. I think that fight is going to command two-way action. Most people seem to have a strong opinion on one side or the other, but I want to stick on the performance here for a little bit and talk a little bit about Derek Lewis before we move on. John, so before you move on, sorry to cut you off. So this better be fucking good because I'm flowing. <laughs> it's great. It's great. The walkout for Cyril gone. Everyone thought that that was by Paul Wall. That's Mike Jones. That's a Mike Jones song. And I'm white boy from New Hampshire. So I shouldn't be the one okay. saying that. But just so that you guys get it right. So what does that there. mean to me, Mike Jones? What does that mean to me? Because uh, it seemed like, was he trying well, to mess Wall with people Houston. in Houston or not? Who? Yeah, Paul Wall's from Houston. Who? Okay. Mike Jones. Mike Jones. Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. Come, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know I retired as a as a hip hop authority in like 1999. I mean, I I'm you know now the, the, the I listen to fucking hip hop, baby shark. Fair. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. how many, how much credibility did I just lose with Cody interjecting there? And now <laughs> I have effectively lost my entire train of thought. Uh, so that was really effective. <laughs> By the way, Sidogan's brother David lives in Boston and. He's right there helping him with interpretation and incredible. So I said at the end of the fighter meeting, I was like, I like this fucking David gone guy, you know? And he's like, oh yeah. And he mentioned that he lived in Boston. I was like city of champions, huh? <laughs> um, and C Cody did politely ask if he could address something about the uh, Cito gone walkout. So uh, I digress. But um, in terms of the performance, right, he mentioned, this is what I was going to talk about, his strength and conditioning coach, Ryan Gillet, right? When guys come in and they put over their strength and conditioning coach for like three minutes, that's always a good sign, right? Yeah. Like this guy is just an absolute killer. Like I hate my strength and conditioning coach because he pushes me so hard. So he's putting in all the right work. So did Derek Lewis and Derek Lewis said in part, the reason why he put in the best training camp of his life is because he knew he was going to feel the pressure so much during fight week specifically. So he wanted to make sure that from a cardiovascular standpoint, that he was not going to have to deal with anything during fight week mentally to be like, Oh, you know, didn't want to have any headspace of questioning what shape he was in. Um, but what do you make of Derek Lewis here? Obviously, uh, you know, he was hoping that there would be an opportunity. But against a guy like Cito Gan, you know, I think you really got to kind of force force the issue and be willing to go out on a stretcher if you're going to get it done. I mean, what were, yeah. were your thoughts on Derek Lewis and defeat? 
Well, you know what? L- listen, I-, I think that Derek was in a tough spot just based on the fact that he's typically a-, a pretty flat-footed guy. He's got a lot of power. There were times where he did reel in Cyril Gaon, and I thought that Gaon was kind of making a mistake being in the pocket with him at times when he started right, trading. Right. And he's certainly going to have to be careful when he does that against someone like Francis Ngannou, who doesn't want to do that too often. But so he had his opportunities. Um but I think at some of those spots, he was either hurt to the body or hurt to the head where he wasn't quite all there. He did his best to try to, you know, um, lead gone into those exchanges, wasn't able to land the shot that he needed. And really, I, I think it came down to full work. He just he doesn't have that skill. There's not a whole lot of heavyweights that do. And gone having that advantage and the speed advantage was huge. So Lewis tried. He was really outgunned there against Gone. It, it's more of a testament to how damn good Gone is uh, and not necessarily a knock on Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis is always going to have that power. He's always going to be dangerous as you stand in front of him. But Derek did his best. He, he just he, he doesn't have that same kind of movement that Gone has. Not many heavyweights do. Perhaps none do. Uh, and that's why I think there's a lot of fascination. I was talking to Daniel Cormier yesterday about a John Jones, Seattle gone matchup as much as Daniel doesn't necessarily want to put over John Jones. Um, he really feels like John Jones is the guy that's uh, going to provide the stiffest challenge for Seattle gone. Uh, and I would also say, Kenny, we'll get to the gone Jones stuff. I'm sure with Longo, um, but Fernand Lopez is going to be my coach of the year here on the Anakin Florian podcast, even if Gon loses to Ngana before the year is out, because he essentially built both of these guys. I mean, with respect to our listener and my good friend, Eric Nixick, who definitely took Francis Ngannou to that next level. Look what Fernand Lopez has done. And, yeah. you know, Ciro Gon deserves a lot of credit for entrusting in this man because Gon was told in no uncertain terms by Fernand Lopez that he had to transition to mixed martial arts. This is where he was going to realize greatness financially and otherwise. And mm-hmm. he essentially has had these big pockets of inactivity waiting for the UFC debut. And then during COVID, he had four fights going away. He has a daughter and another one on the way. And now Seattle Gon is in all likelihood going to be a, a multimillionaire. Um, and he's one of the very best heavyweights in the world with a UFC belt three years into his MMA training. Never mind career. It's amazing. I mean, a couple of things, right? I, first of all, no coach, or it's rare that you get a coach or, or you know, you have a gym and Francis Ngannou walks in and you have that opportunity. And then you get Cyril Ghosn to walk in the gym doors. I mean, that's fair. Just, that is fair. So, so yes, I, I would say absolutely. He deserves credit, but also, I mean, it's like, you get a once in a lifetime athlete, then you get two, you know, Did two they of both them. circumstantially walk in the door. I got to think with one yeah. of them, he at least recruited them inside the building. I think Francis kind of just showed up, right? Yeah, um, it's crazy. But, he, but I, yeah. I would, outside the gym, I imagine him having like freakish, freakishly good athletic giants yeah. welcome here, yeah. you know, and yeah. just bring them in, let them come into the gym. Yeah. If you are above 6'3, 225, <laughs> I will turn you in to <laughs> exactly. a monster. Yeah. Um, and of course, I don't want to discount all of Gon's Muay Thai experience, two-time French Muay Thai champion, but this is a willing wrestler and grappler. And if you had said to him, you have to beat Derek Lewis, but you have to take him down at least once in every round and you have to try to submit him. You can't knock him out. I think Gon might've been able to go out and do it, man. You he's know, a martial art. He's a martial artist. There's no question about it. He, he's a student of the game. All right, so in terms of Cyril Gaon and Francis Ngannou, 
people have a lot of strong opinions as to how this fight will play out. Uh, and it's amazing how quickly people want to spin this thing forward and not just celebrate the win. But uh, that is the world in which we live. So uh, what are your thoughts on a potential fight between Cyril Ghan and Francis Ngannou? And God help the broadcaster saying Ghan and Ghan, Ghan and Ghanou, Ghan and Ghanou. Exactly. Uh, it's well, listen, it's, it's hard not to do that. Right. I mean, how do you not get giddy and excited after seeing that performance from, from Gund? Um, you know, I, I think that for both of those guys, uh, it, it's a winnable fight. There's no question about that. Both are, uh, unique in their style. I, I think Gun certainly has a footwork advantage and Ngannou has a power advantage where, you know, the window of opportunity for someone like Ngannou um, to land, um, you know, if he lands the right shot, it com- it could be over, right, in a-, a-, a second. Um, I don't think God has that same kind of ability, but where he can where he can win the fight is by frustrating uh, Ngano, keeping him on the outside, sticking and moving, um, making it more of a long range uh, battle, and also threatening that takedown a little bit as Ngannou tries to close that distance or close that gap and leap forward. So it's going to be a fascinating fight. It's going to take a perfect game plan from both guys. Um, And I I think that's the heavyweight uh, fight that everyone kind of dreams of and salivates over Uh, the UFC, of course, being at the front of that. Right. So that's going to be an unbelievable fight, man. And they've they've trained together. They have trained together. Yeah, and of course and the coaches. As who's you releasing that video though? That's, I mean, a lot of UFC fighters, Kamar Usman and others, suggested that that was done in poor taste, and I would certainly lean on that side of the opinion. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook: Francis Ngannou minus one seventy, John Jones plus one fifty. They have odds on that fight, but they do not have odds, at least on my phone, as I just checked, on Francis Ngannou versus Cirogan or on John Jones uh, versus Cirogan. Cody's telling me in other spots. Um, Francis Ngannou minus 115, Cirogan minus 102. Again, I think that's going to be a close fight. It's going to command two-way action. Um, but I did say to, I think, Max Kellerman off camera that I thought that if Ngannou were to open as the favorite, that I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Gan close as the betting favorite because a lot of people in the MMA space that I have talked to seem pretty convicted on the Gan side here early. Do you think Cirogan has more ways to beat Francis Ngannou than the other way around? Because I certainly do. I think Cirogan has more ways to win and... Given his discipline, I think Francis is going to really have to uh, have to be be more perfect than Ghana is going to have to be perfect. I think that's uh, I think that's accurate, John. I think that for Ghana, he has a little bit more tools. You know, he uses more of his tools. Where Ngano is kind of uh, more of a boxer. Not to say he can't kick an elbow and things like that, but I think Gon can get it done in more ways. And because of that, I think that's why he might end up. Um, you know right before fight week as the betting favorite. I agree. And Cody is chiming in. How do we check our recency bias? And I think that's fair, right? I can understand why people think that it's a recency bias, but when you see Seattle gone compete live, I think you understand uh, why he gets all of the hype and all of the accolades and all of the words from the fighters, right? Like I'm just sort of impressionable, but listening when all of these pro fighters are talking to me in these glorifying terms like you and DC, I mean, and Dom, you know, well, I'll say this, here's the other thing. And and again, styles make fights. So I I don't like doing the whole, if a fighter beats B fighter, that means blah, blah, you know, the MMA math doesn't always uh, work out of course, but could Ngano do what Gon just did 
to Derek Lewis, right? Obviously, we can go back to their first fight and whatever. There was a lot, lot of hesitancy on the part of Francis Ngannou. For, for Ngannou to go out and beat Derek Lewis, he has to put himself way more in harm's way than, say, Gon does. Gon right. is way slicker in how he enters. He's way slicker in how he creates those angles and how he gets in and gets out and the different tools that he uses. Um, you know, Ngannou can very well kill a man with one shot. They, I, again, that that is is ex- always going to make him dangerous. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it, it's a different approach. Just the way that Gon does it, he just looks like one of the most skillful UFC heavyweights that I've seen ever, period. All right, plenty more coming up on UFC 265 with Ray Longo. We will get his thoughts on Cyril Ghan and Francis Ngannou as well. And, uh, you know, people want to hear from you on the King of Rio, Jose Aldo, because you fought him 10 years ago. I'm going to try not to be selfish with the Aldo space today uh, because I have so many good things to say about that man and that athlete. But uh, it looks like Ray Longo is on the screws of 11 a.m. Eastern. Let's get to Ray. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey! Man, it's going to be a rough one today. Oh, can you center yourself up on that camera if you don't mind? It's great to see Ray Longo representing Chris Wadman, the All-American, with his T-shirt wow. today. And that's an old-school bad boy T-shirt. Is it a bad boy? I don't even know. So it seems like like you had extra rounds duties on UFC Fight Pass over the weekend. Your hair certainly seems to be a bigger focus going into that. I mean, you can't even stick a fucking comb through that thing for our show, but for extra rounds, you know, you don't have a logo on your T-shirt and your hair's done. So we we understand where we fall. Where's my Anakin Florian T-shirt? That's the first thing. So you don't have any? Cody said he sent you a bunch. of. You don't have any stuff, Uh, you know? I don't believe I do. Because no. you go on extra rounds, right? And I know they pay you a bunch of money and all that. You're wearing a plain T-shirt, you know. If you're going to wear a logo T-shirt on our show, you know. I mean, do you want to promote Chris Wyman's YouTube channel while you're here or no? <laughs> yeah, sure. Everybody listen to Don't Back Down. I wouldn't. I don't think it's great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Hey, you came at me last week. So well, I don't know what you thought you were walking into today, but I barely slept since UFC 265. So uh, all long, over my ass last week. Long weekend. <laughs> yeah. So what, what we, time? What do what we got, time, guys? What time do you go to bed after extra rounds anyway? Oh, three, four in the morning? I'm going to say three. Yeah. Three, three or four. Yeah. So we were just about to get into Jose Aldo, and I just wanted to sort of set up for people, especially anyone who was critical of his decision to drop down to 135 pounds. So, Kenny, when he was cutting to 45 and fighting guys like you, you know, he didn't have to eliminate cheeseburgers during his training camp and he could still make 46 or I guess it was 45 for him. It was never 46. Right. But. He knew if he was going to be a bantamweight that he needed to make wholesale lifestyle changes that he would sustain year round. And that's what he has done. So the result is that these weight cuts are actually easier, despite the aesthetic that people are seeing, than the cuts were to featherweight. And I think some recent performances really speak to that. He's talked a lot about his alignment with the Marine Corps boxing program. He won't shut up about that, Kenny. Um, So, Ray, I guess I'll start with you and then you can send it to the man who actually fought him. Uh, What do you make of this soon to be 35 year old version of Jose Aldo Jr.? I I like this version of of, uh, 
Jose Aldo. He really did a great job, and his boxing is point on. I mean, basically, just outboxed him. I mean, that's what he did at thirty five, and I or thirty four, going to be thirty five. But you know, the thing is, you know, these guys they don't eat right year round. That's the thing. So when you really dedicate yourself to the science of eating, and there is a science, this is crazy how old he is, and he makes this weight easier. I remember people telling me. Uh, you know, like he was having trouble at 45, you know, but now oh, he's yeah. pounds lighter. He's, he's, he's older. So everything's going against the grain. So, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the uh, diet guy in the gym, but I know like, you know, we had Tony Ricci, the guy was a genius. Uh, and let me shout out to Tony Ricci too. Cause he just left. He's down with you, John in Florida now. So uh, wow. your gain or loss, but oh, uh, is he going to come try to work on my strength and conditioning and my nutrition? <laughs> A lot of people trying to that. But no, the point being is that there's a science there. And if you do the right thing, the weight's going to come off and you're going to be better. There's just no question about it. But a lot of guys, look, they're not going to follow it. Jose Aldo looks like he's he's doing the right thing and he's making the weight easier. I don't know if he's a five round fighter, but I'll tell you, it's going to be hard to beat him in three rounds for sure. That's the he just looked. He looks good, man. He really looked great. And uh, just look at his attitude after the fight. He's just a happy guy and just great for the sport. He's a former champ, uh, doing the right things, it looks like. And that's what I think, you know, I key in on. He just, you know, he just looks like a good dude and he's doing great. I thought, I thought, I enjoy watching him fight. I thought he, you know, he knows he's, he's very patient. You know, he knows how to pick his shots. Uh, he threw the kicks in just at the right times, just to offset him to go back to the hands. Great night against a real tough forward pressure type of fighter in Pedro Munoz. He just, you know, but the range just wasn't there for him, and he was just outgunned. Kemflo. You know, John, there are a lot of great fighters in MMA, right, especially in the UFC. There are very few MMA masters I would consider Jose Aldo an MMA master. He's a guy that can make even the most dangerous fighters look okay. That, to me, is a sign of mastery. And Pedro Munoz is a very dangerous guy. He came to fight. He was trying to get in Jose Aldo's face. But when you have that kind of skill level and you can make someone miss like that and you have so many different moves and tricks – to me, it looked like teacher and student out there. Uh, I mean, Jose Aldo is that good. And, you know, to just piggyback on what Ray said earlier, it shows his dedication. Here was a guy that I heard rumors, right? I fought the guy. I was, you know, trying to find as, mu- as much about the guy right, as I could. Right. He did have trouble making 145. What did he do to make 135? Obviously, it takes a tremendous amount of discipline. And to do it in your mid-30s after you've already yes. become a multiple-time world champion in yes. a different weight class shows his dedication to martial arts, to the sport, to himself. He is a true professional. And I think the obvious statement of the year is that Jose Aldo is a future Hall of Famer. Well, well that 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 goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> that that's yeah. a that's a given. They don't even vote on that. You just put them in. So I guess then when I say to you guys that I get legitimately more nervous for my Jose Aldo fighter meeting than my pay-per-view open to millions of people for a Connor Dustin led pay-per-view, then you would probably say, I get it right. Like there's just something about this guy uh, and he has resonated with Americans. I just have to say to such an extent 
without even embracing the English language at all compared to the level of his fellow Brazilians. I mean, this guy just, I don't know, man, he just, there's this star power that just emanates off of this dude. And then to be performing at this level, it's insane. And he looks like he's just had a good space in his life, man. He's got got to remember, he got, you know, kind of humiliated by Connor. That's not easy to come back from, you know, that whole stressful. I need to see them fight again. Yeah, I need to see them. That would again. be that would be awesome too. Even at 145, I don't think Connor's going to make yeah. 145. Maybe Aldo goes back to 55. But no, it would it have to be. It would have to be. Uh, I would 55 think five or something. 50 would be the absolute lowest weight. I would think lightweight yeah. fight. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's not. I be TJ asked me that. I said it's never going to happen. It can't now because Aldo is so wholly focused on being yeah, right. the title yeah. contention. And again, he's, and he's literally like, flipped the switch on yeah. the way he he runs his life to be to walk as like a 47 pound man you know you know the, the story of aldo is is another one that i they have a movie about him in brazil but you know a, a lot of people don't know he came from nothing he literally his home was the mats over at novo Uniao. so you know we're at andre Pedernera's, um his gym and he would that's where he slept that that was his home um fighters and jiu-jitsu guys uh, like leonardo santos would yeah. come and whatever extra change he had, he would give to Jose Aldo so he can go out and get lunch or breakfast or something. Yeah. I mean, that that's yeah. where he comes from. And to see the level of success that he's accomplished now in Brazil, in the UFC as a former champion, now a, a, a business owner, a successful business owner, and, you know, to see the kind of life that he's created for himself, it, it's, it's an amazing story. The movie and, is on Netflix, by the way. And, yeah, and John, as a coach, just the – you could see the – he stayed with the same team. He could have left. He could yeah. have left after the loss, but you could see like the, uh, uh, just the closeness that him and Andre, the bond that they have. I oh, think, yeah. I mean, it's just a great, it really is a great story. And the guy still has a lot of fight left in him, but that that's the other thing. He could have left. He could have jumped around from gym to gym. He could have let people get in his head. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. But no, those guys stayed together. And that's why I'm always going to be a big Jose Aldo fan, man. That and I think it's a like again a great story, and you could see it in the ring that night. You know what I mean? It's that's a long time this guy's fighting. Yeah, to still have that type of bonding going on is 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 fucking great. You're wise to sort of bring up the Brazil angle. He has been softly critical, Kenny, of fighters who have left Brazil you know, seeking greener pastures. You know, he is super fond of Pedro Munoz as a human being, but he sort of said in a long form interview, I read, you know, I don't really feel like I'm fighting a Brazilian move to the United States in 2010, you know, um, but a couple other things real quick on Jose Aldo, just from our fighter meeting, you know, we asked him about Pedro. He's like, other people should be worried too. Like that's the level of his confidence. Even going into the Munoz fight, he's like, y'all don't understand. Like other people are going to be worried too. Like people are th- focused on the weight cut. Like forget my weight cut. Like I'm going to make the number. You need me to make 34 and a half, you know, I'll fucking do that for you, you know, despite the way I look in the face, but his will to win Kenny is higher than it's ever been. Like he is putting in the best training camps of his life right now. Absolutely. You could see that. And again, that Jose Aldo that showed up in round three, especially, um, does anybody beat that Jose Aldo? I mean, those were the, those were the kicks we used to see. Those are the combinations. Those are the angles. I mean, everything he threw was just so sharp and precise. I mean, there's, there really is nothing you could fault him in that round for. I mean, the way that he was moving, he was just at, at a whole different level. Not to say rounds one and two were bad at all. They were they were very impressive as well. But round three, Aldo, that was 
vintage Aldo plus. Uh, yeah. it, it was it was really pretty to watch. I did get a text from Ray Longo during the pay-per-view this weekend. Um, and we will get to that in a second. I promise we'll get to that. Um, I'm blown away by whoever that guy is. And I'm just, well, he, uh, he's telling me that I'm going to be commentating tennis pretty soon. So he doesn't seem to be a super nice guy either, but, uh, really, uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just want to real quickly get your thoughts. Uh, and we don't have to go too long on this, but Cito gone, how special is he in your eyes, and how do you forecast a matchup between him and Francis, if you don't mind? Uh, man, first off, very special. Uh, more special than he was last week. Yes, that's a great way to put it. You know what I mean? It definitely, look, Angano and, and, and Derek Lewis, they looked at each other for three rounds, right? This is my takeaway. They looked, nobody, I don't know if anybody landed a punch. It was a horrible fight, right? They were very, very cautious. This guy didn't care. This guy, you know, look, even between him and Aldo, the use of the jab alone was phenomenal, right? They just set everything up off the jab. They were pot shotting, or at least Cyril was, you know, pot shotting. But he wasn't afraid. He took his time like he always does. He's a very patient, well-thought-out, calm, cool, collective fighter who, when he gets you in trouble, it's a different animal, you know? So he's got great killer instinct when he gets you in trouble. He's willing to wait for that opportunity and not overextend himself and make mistakes. Uh, I saw a really, really special guy that night against a guy that, you know, like, again, even though the odds were were in uh, were, were huge in uh, Cyril's favor, mm-hmm. uh, at any given point in time, this other guy could get you out of there. We've seen it a hundred times in the past, but this guy, I mean, he took him apart and he knocked him out. I mean, that's, that's not easy to do. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, easily, not even. And the best version of Derek Lewis by far was the. Yeah, guy yeah, I know. Derek uh, Lewis looked like you know he came to fight, but yeah. this guy is definitely special, and uh, I would say he will be the favorite going into that Angano fight, just based on that reason. Yeah, very interesting stuff. All right, again, I didn't think we would get to uh, this Rafael Fazi Bobby Green fight and the ensuing scorecards before we talked about like Vicente Luque, but that we need to do this. Okay. We need to yeah, talk I mean, about that, this right that, now. That was- so Rafael Fazeev defeats Bobby Green in the featured prelim by unanimous decision, 29, 28 times two, right? Because I think most of the masses as well as two of the three judges score rounds one and two for Rafael Fazeev and round three for Bobby Green. Um, but the third scorecard was 30 to 27 um, for Rafael Fazeev. So when I was. I didn't even hear it announced live, but certainly when Bobby Green heard that 30 to 27, he thought assuredly he had won the fight because he knew that maybe he didn't win round one or two, uh, but certainly he had won round three. So my daughters are 10 and eight. Um, They don't know the scoring criteria. And I didn't even think, Ray, for this third round that they really needed to know the criteria. So I just sat them down. I said, can you guys just give me five minutes? Just watch this round and tell me who you think won. And they finish watching the round. They're like, are you trying to like trick us or something? Like we thought green one. What are you, you know? So, um, but again, I, I don't know. So uh, the MMA masses are upset. I've, ne- you know, obviously there are a lot of judges who historically have a track record of a lot of bad scorecards. I can't, I'm not even going to utter this judge's name. I don't really care about that, but all the pro fighters are coming to Bobby Green's defense because this scorecard was, uh, was an absolute disgrace in the eyes of men. Yeah. I mean, look, you got to go by something that when I, I was like Bobby Green. I go out of giving him the fight. And and let me tell you, 
rounds one and two, I think round one was, I mean, look, it, obviously that was the score of the fight, but it was a very close fight. Bobby Green walked him down. I think he took away uh, that guy's offense enough to where he just broke him down in the third round. But when I heard 30-27, I, I, you have to go with that too because that was such an obvious round. Like how do you, how can you fuck that round up? It's impossible. It's totally impossible. And for a guy to defend that is even worse. And that's why I say sometimes I agree. the masses have to hear these guys talk so they can out them themselves. They'll get on social media and they'll bury the guy. You cannot defend that. Bobby Green won that round. I mean, like, he looked great in that round. And I, I could see Bobby thinking he won the fight. I mean, there's no question about it, but. Man, that is that is that that's just awful. It's yeah, awful. and Kenny, what bothers me the right. most, and, I think, and this, and this really is for Bobby Green because I don't want that. I think he's been looking great lately. I don't want. Oh yeah, I wouldn't want, like to see him get mentally beaten down by some mental deficient who has no clue as to what he's doing. Kenny, that's the issue, right? Is that this judge now, in defense of his scorecard, seems to be more worried about what he perceives to be public shaming than he is worried about the athlete, right? Not once has he expressed anything about the athletes, you know? That's the the thing, man. You know, um, it's okay if you make a mistake. It's okay. But but, but, go ahead and and defend that and, and act like, hey, you know, I got it right, guys, you know. There wasn't, and Cody's just, you know, texting us now. No judges on MMADecisions.com had a 30-27. There wasn't or one. no media members, right. right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, man, again, you, you and I, I don't, the numbers don't always tell the story, but when you see that kind of disparity in the amount of strikes that Bobby Green landed and the kind of strikes that he landed on Fiziev, oh. it's like, come on. I mean, some of the, a lot of those shots, I mean, Fiziev, as tough as he is, was kind of, you know, Turning oh, away yeah. and kind of flinching and kind of backing up. I mean, I thought it was a pretty clear round for Green. I mean, I, I, I again, I was just kind of shocked. And, um, you know, it, it's tough. There, there is a lot of eyes watching this sport. You're going to get a lot of criticism. That That's kind of the nature of what you do, of what I do, what the fighters do, and all that stuff. But for a referee to go in there and, and try to, you know, say, hey, that, you know, you're wrong – Again, I I think you need to go back. There needs to be some kind of accountability. You know, talk to other officials, talk to other referees, judges, uh, fighters. um, See what went wrong and and, and let's get it better. Let's fix this because, again, if it was any closer, this could have determined a lot for both of these fighters, right? As we know, it does. The UFC fights, you know, being a professional fighter, these are big. These are make or break spots for these guys. It could be the difference between – you know, um, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions yeah. of dollars for these like guys. You really how, want to know, like Bobby Green, your career changes. So yeah, but like Bobby Green, he's trying to. He has three different children, and I think in three different spots. You know, he's trying to buy a third house. You know, and again, this didn't affect the outcome, right? He still got a fifty thousand dollar bonus, but largely, this not affecting the outcome is neither here nor there. We're tra- we're talking about singularly the way a paid judge is scoring a round and. This was not a hard round to score, um, despite his best intentions to try to push that message out to the public. I have not found a single high-profile fighter or coach who scored round three for Rafael Fazit. And as soon as this slap dick called out my credibility, I booked Mark Goddard on the show next week. So Mark Goddard's going to give you know, Mark Goddard is about as credible a resource as I can find in the space. So, um, so I immediately, um, 
you know, went in that direction. So anybody who has any questions on the scoring front, I didn't want to bog it down with that today, but um, just a really disappointing thing that happened. You know, right, the guy had the guy had the balls to insult you over that. that well, I don't that. the thing, but I don't even care. It's not about me. Yeah, I didn't even include his like, name in the post. Yeah, John, it's not about that. Nobody cares about that. But it's principle that this guy would do that. I mean, I think that's goes to show you how bad it is. That's just stupid. At this well, and anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that we have tried to dig into the scoring and study it and talk about affecting change and what could be done to make things better. But man, that is really something, you know, um, that is really something, uh, you guys got anything else on that before we move on? I mean, Raphael Fazeev, I think is a guy who's going to draw top 15 opposition. And, you know, I was talking to Danny Rubenstein, Raphael Fazeev's manager, you know, who certainly didn't think his fighter won the third round, but he won the fight. And he said, you know, this is a little bit disappointing because at least in the next week, you know, because of that scorecard, there's going to be more discourse about that judge's scorecard than there is going to be about Rafael Fazeev's performance. Um, you know, so. I mean, he's still a killer. He's still a killer. You, yeah, you wait, got a good guy, one there, Rubes. Yeah, he's yeah. still a killer, but I, I you got to give it up to Bobby Green, man. He Absolutely. didn't he didn't give up a fucking inch of that fight, man. Against the guy that was throwing heat. He kept coming forward. He ate a lot of leg kicks, right? Yeah, How many guys can take those I, leg kicks and keep coming I forward? Give, with let me I give it up to Bobby Green. I am mean, tough, if, tough if, ass dude. If one guy came out of that fight tougher, it's Bobby. It's not I, I might need to get a, a Bobby King Green tattoo, man, uh, like no, a King no, emote. No, I think he he came across great during the quarantine and the pandemic. Yeah. He, he had a bunch of fights, and you know, I got to talk to him maybe once or twice. But uh, just a good dude, man. Uh, that was a that's not an easy fight going up against that guy. And I thought he no. did a great job of walking him down. And yeah. in that third round, he had a he had a chance of getting him out of there. Yeah. Oh, he was. I, that's how one sided I thought the round was. Yep. Oh man, always something, always something. Well, it's very interesting what's going on at Bantamweight with Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan, and maybe it's Rob Font that ends up being the guy that gets Jose Aldo, and would that be three or five? And Dominic Cruz is coming back. You know, might get Cheeto Vera or Sean O'Malley potentially. I mean, Bantamweight is on fire, and of course they're all chasing Longo's guys, so it's pretty exciting. Um, All right, before we let you go, uh, and then if you have anything to promote on the way out um, with all of your myriad appearances, you can certainly do that. Um, But Vicente Luque and Michael Chiesa, um, you know, great sort of microcosm about the thrill and the agony in this sport. And for Michael Chiesa, this is a huge setback, but what else can be said about Vicente Luque, right? Ken Flo? Like he's won 10 of 11. He's finished 19 of his 21 pro wins. He's got a lot of chokes in his arsenal as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, um, but he's really a striker. Um, Kenny, I guess I'll start with you on Luque and Chiesa, but what'd you make of Vicente's uh, submission defense turned into submission offense there? You know, I, I knew that it was definitely possible for Chiesa to win that fight. Uh, his ability to take down and control is really impressive. But I, I think for me, when I looked at that fight, the reason why I picked Luque is not only did I see him having a big advantage on the feet, but I said, you know, this guy's got some submissions in his back pocket where you get him on his back. It's not like you're safe there either. Um, and you know, the, the way that he was able to come back, his toughness, you know, Luke is going to fight tooth and nail. He's the kind of guy he'll let an arm break, you know, just so he can get out and then beat you, beat you with it. You know, he is so tough and he was in some difficult spots against Kiesa, was able to escape, get on top and capitalize when he needed to. Um, he's putting it all together at the right time and doing it against a guy like Kiesa is extremely impressive. And I will say this as a guy who, 
you know, um, when I was fighting, was doing analysis work and commentary work and stuff. That isn't easy. Um, you know, I, I think that playing both of those roles and, you know, maybe putting more pressure on yourself and making it a bigger deal than it is uh, can get to you. And yeah. I know Kiesa kind of alluded to that. Um, and I, I do know, though, that Kiesa will come back stronger and better like he has before. And um, it was a tough loss. But more than anything else, he ran into a Luke that is firing on all cylinders. Yeah, and it's going to be a tough guy to beat. Yeah, no, look, two good guys. They're going to, you know, they're both going to do great in the future. Uh, Luke definitely deserves a shot. Uh, you know, he looked phenomenal. And, and and Mike is just a nice guy that, you know, maybe you're right with the uh, commentating. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to uh, juggle everything at the same time. But, you know, he did get the fight where he wanted to. He did come out with a different strategy. So whatever he was thinking in his head worked. It was a beautiful takedown. And he had his opportunity to win that fight and uh, it didn't go his way. And the other guy jumped on that, you know, right out of the scramble of that. And hats off to him, man. Again, great, great job. Really just a great job with a lot of things. You got a lot of welterweight contenders that on paper have put together a body of work that is worthy of a title shot right now. I mean, even Gilbert Burns, I know he fought for the belt recently, right? But the way he came back, you know, if you needed a welterweight contender for like an interim fight, like Gilbert Burns has the resume, but I'm really talking about Leon Edwards and Vicente Luque. Uh, and certainly I think Colby Covington deserves being in that mix, even though he only had one win after the championship fight. All right. Always good to have Ray Longo on my Monday. I mean, and thank you for texting me over the weekend. You know, nothing makes me happier when I see the name Longo or Florian in my cell phone when I'm on a headset for eight and a half hours. I was I was just blown away by that. I really was like, I, I don't know. I just was blown away. I was like, I got a I almost threw the phone against the wall. <laughs> so I yeah. decided to text you and save my phone. But uh, hey, real quick. So I have uh, Justin the Kid Montalvo fighting in Bellator this week, Friday okay. night. All right. Uh, making his Bellator debut. Okay. And uh, we have two amateurs, Steve Lee and Anthony Delemi, fighting on the uh, the hometown circuit in Long Island, on the amateur circuit. I, I mean, I hope I have everybody in, but uh, they're both fighting on the same night. So it's a big night for the gym. How about that, Steve Lee? Let's getting go right, right back in there, huh? And I don't Get know if him. you guys put all their wrestling. Did you guys see they they do a, like a, I guess it's a, it's a summer wrestling tournament at Hofstra? And those guys all decided to jump in uh, yesterday. Oh, really? Dele- Anthony Delemi, Marab, and Al Jermaine Sterling. And who do, who do you think won? Marab. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Crowd, crowd favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and he won, right? He won. He decided to go. Yeah, in easy court. fucking just money. Just Wallace Willie. Wallace Willie. You got to love that guy. It's just crazy. You know, just he probably had tried to enter another weight class just to just to do a second one for fun. Well, you know, he and no, he 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 sucks some weight so he wouldn't have to wrestle Aljo. You know, okay. but Aljo, right. yeah, right. Aljo <laughs> took second against a real tough kid that of I forget where I maybe Nassau, but uh, I think cool, he's a all American. But the fact that those guys just do that and they have fun uh, and they raised a lot of money was a good benefit. Jamie Franco. Uh, who uh, helped yep. run? I know thing. Jamie. Yeah, just raised some money. Yeah. And That's it cool, was man. Thing, but somebody sent me a video of Marab, just like some poor kid trying to take him down. He was kind of bored and laughing, and the kids <laughs> tried. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, does extra rounds give you the opportunity to talk about all this stuff at the end of your UFC 255 <laughs> recap? Or no? Oh, yeah. Shout out to extra rounds. Oh, yeah, that's enough. You don't watch that. that. 
Hey, uh, thanks for your time. Pearl Gonzalez going at it. But hey, she's a pisser and a half. Yeah, hope. she's a piston. Hey, your homework for next week. Can you yes. wear a t-shirt that represents this brand? On yeah, a, on brand, I guarantee you. All right. That I promise. My man. You know, 11 o'clock is early, John. All right. We'll do 1130 <laughs> next week. All right. <laughs> We just like, you know, the listeners want you as close to the top of the show as possible. So, again, we're just trying to pacify what is a very needy Kenny, audience. Kenny, was it me or did he cut me off real quick when I started talking about extra It's over. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even get the words out of my mouth yet. I got gazzle. And he was he was already off. It was out. All right. Hey, listen. Let me the name of that that uh the judge. Thank you, buddy. Very long go with us every week here on the Anik and Florian podcast. But part of my reason for booking Mark Goddard on the judging front is to say, you know, to, because people, you know, I just I don't like when, you know, a, a Muay Thai guy will denigrate like a mixed martial arts fan on Instagram and say that the mixed martial arts fan can't have an opinion about the score of a round because he didn't train in Muay Thai. You know, so like I got people trying to denigrate my credentials. I've been calling mixed martial arts fights since 2009. And my best friends in the world are all the very best fighters to ever do it. And those have been the people who have been in my ears for 12 to 13 years. So I always qualify my comments on this show by the fact that my opinion is uh, that of an amateur and not a professional. But, um, you know, to suggest that my opinion or an MMA fan that has watched every fight since 2001. Sp- You've seen uh, one or one or two fights that have been scored over the years. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Before we move on. And by the way, congratulations to the Fall River, Massachusetts native Tisha Torres, who looked outstanding against Angela Hill. Uh, a lot of big winners over the weekend. Congrats to Miles Johns for the performance of the night bonus. Huge knockout of Anderson Dos Santos. I was surprised to see on SportsCenter's top 10 Miles Johns got the number five and the top play was Manel cop for the, uh, the oh, head kick he, knockout of Ode Osborne, that, by the way, hit his shoulder and his jaw. And I didn't go too deep into it on the broadcast because we needed to move on, but I thought Ode deserved a little bit more time. And I also didn't think the knee landed flush on the job, but, uh, yeah. I stayed in my lane. Um, Cody agrees early stoppage. There you go. All right. Before we move on, Mixed martial arts legend Nick Diaz will make his return at UFC 266 September 25th. He takes on a former opponent, former UFC welterweight champion, Robbie Lawler. So Diaz Lawler 1 took place at UFC 247. That was April 2nd of 04. That night, Nick Diaz won by knockout. The rematch, 17 plus years in the making, goes down September 25. That's right. UFC 47. Uh, round 2 uh, knockout there for Nick Diaz. Just um, amazing that, that they're going to run it back. This is the fight that I think every UFC fan wanted to see. It's a rematch that uh, I've been waiting for for a while. Uh, these are two guys that have done some amazing things in this sport since then. You know, back then it was kind of like we were going to see who was going to be the emerging star out of those two. A lot of people thought it was going to be Robbie Lawler just based on his build and based on what he was doing in the UFC at the time. He was just murdering dudes at like 19 years old, was just yeah. insane. Nick Diaz was in his early 20s at the time. And we saw that toughness from Nick Diaz. He, uh, again, in classic Nick Diaz uh, fashion, ate some big shots, was able to come back, landed a beautiful shot that put Robbie Lawler out. Uh, You know, Nick Diaz became uh, this star because of it. And, um, you know, I I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see how that rematch materializes. Both those guys are absolute studs. 
this is a fight that just makes a whole lot of sense. All right. So first fight we mentioned in 2004, a couple nuggets that I thought you might find interesting and hopefully the audience would as well, because there are more of them than you. So Diaz at the time of that first fight made three grand a show and three grand a win. It was his 11th pro fight. Wow. And now he's returning, of course, for the first time since January 31st of 2015, a night on which he was pretty competitive against Anderson Silva. Lawler was eight and one when he fought Nick Diaz the first time. He made eight grand a show. So despite losing, he still made more money um, on a night when the total fight purse was three hundred and thirty three thousand dollars. So stands to reason both guys are going to make more than that individually for the rematch. Uh, Robbie Lawler's fought seven times since we last saw Nick Diaz compete. Last fight for Lawler against Neil Magny. Decision lost last August twenty nine. Robbie's lost four in a row. Two of those twenty five minute distance fights. Odds for the first fight between Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz. Any idea? How could you possibly have an idea? I'd imagine that Robbie was probably a big favorite, but I don't know. What was it? It was in 2004. I couldn't find a betting line. They don't go back that far as the fucking trick question. Yeah. Um, Bestfightodds.com suggests the odds for the rematch opened at Robbie Lawler minus 250 and Nick Diaz plus 210. Right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, Lawler is minus 120 and Nick Diaz is plus 100, the even money underdog. Does that surprise you at all? What do you think? Um, the opening know, number surprises me that either one of these men would be a minus two fifty favorite, uh, right. against the other. Um, but I think Lawler, given the active or more active schedule, I should say probably would, uh, would deserve the distinction as the favorite. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably right. Um, it's hard, man. You know, anytime we don't see a fighter for a long time, um, we don't exactly know what they're going to look like, how they're going to enter into the octagon. I know that Dick has been teasing this comeback for a long time. Obviously, it's a fight for him that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, don't count him out. All right. Before we get on out of here, I want to announce our winner of the correct prediction. He had Seattle gone by round three TKO. And I believe he hails from Germany. He was the first man to reply. And I'm trying to find the post right now, but I'm going to show you what is coming your way in the prize pack. We basically solicited opinion um, to give you predictions on Seattle gone versus Derek Lewis. So our correct predictor and Cody, hopefully will get me his name by the end of the program is going to get an MMA bobblehead. Ken, look at this shit, man. Am I fucking boring you? MMA bobblehead. Brian T. City Ortega, Los Angeles, California. These things are so well thought out and so well made. This is a one-of-a-kind souvenir. So we are sending this all the way to Germany, courtesy of MMA Bobblehead. Um, You're also getting a hat from Millions.co, where you can also buy one more sleep hat. You're also getting a Kenny Florian (laughs) T-shirt. That will end up as a as a cleaning rag, but uh, we appreciate it. So if you are not watching on YouTube right now, it is uh, a Kenny Florian T-shirt from the Anakin Florian podcast. There's oh. the back of it. So that is in your prize package as well. Also an Anakin Florian dad cap because I sure as fuck ain't wearing it. And you also get an Anik and Florian water bottle, as well as other stuff that Cody Let's and I go. might throw in there. Probably something from Canada Dips if you like CBD and all that. The winner's name is Alexander Petreski. Alexander Petreski. Congratulations. We will follow up with you on social media. You win the prize package. All right. It is time now to get to a two-time Olympic gold medalist. All right. Now with us here on the podcast, someone who one day could just go down as one of the best combat sports athletes of all time and a woman for whom I have a lot of respect, not just as an athlete. She is PFL lightweight contender, Kayla Harrison. Kayla, I know it's a busy time. Uh, Appreciate a few minutes today. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. 
All right, so 10 days from now, you will compete in the women's semifinals. Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, Hollywood, Florida, about 33 minutes from my front door, even closer for you. Um, so a week and a half out for a layman like me, um, what will your training consist of today as you sort of get closer to fight week? Um, well, today I'm going to still train twice a day and then kind of start slowing it down. Um, it's been a grind. It, I don't know if you're familiar with the PFL format, but it's a season format. So right. I fought a lot this year, going to fight four times. You pretty much go from one camp to the next to the next. So it's been a little bit of a grind. I'm uh, looking forward to fight week because that means it's kind of rest week. <laughs> right, right. And, and Kale, obviously, go ahead. Kale, obviously, you know you've done this before, uh, world champion already. Um, and I'm curious as to how this season is different from um, your your pre previous uh, championship run. Um, I think that, well, I think the competition has stepped up a lot. Um, I think that Larissa's gotten better, Jenna's gotten better, I've gotten better. Um, I think also, you know, I had already re-signed with the PFL before the semis and before the finals of last year. So this year's there's, I think, a little more, um, I don't want to say pressure because it's not the right word, but there are more eyes, I guess. You know, what's she going to yeah. do? Where's she going to go? What's going to happen? Is she going to, you know, dominate? Kind of just a lot of questions. So. My eyes are on the prize, though. I'm focused. I know that if I go out there and steal my will and do my job, that um, hopefully, you know, everything will work out. Um, the, the Olympics just wrapped. Did, did you watch uh, the women's judo? And, and, and what did you think of the competition there? Um, I watched my friend Angie compete. But I didn't, I didn't, uh, that's late to stay up late for, you know, huh. I'm a mom now. So it's like, yeah. I'm <laughs> I can barely make it to fights. So right. um, I saw... Uh, the Japanese girl won my division, which I wasn't surprised. The Japanese kind of killed it this year um, at the Olympics to nobody's surprise. But uh, I definitely, I had some nostalgia, but I don't miss it, if that makes any sense. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was uh, alluding to. Yeah. All right. Cool. No, I'm it's so happy. interesting when you talk about a lot more eyeballs on your fights, right? Because for me, I'm working probably 25 UFC shows a year. Contractually, I got to watch like 41 of these things. I got three kids under 10, but your fights have become appointment viewing for a lot of us who don't have time to watch every PFL show. So it sounds like you kind of feel that the entirety of the MMA world is watching when you're competing. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I want. You know, that's what I've worked so hard for my entire career. I don't, um, I'm not here to, obviously, you know, it feels good to have eyes on you and you want to be big and famous and rich and all of this, but yeah. I'm not doing it for any of those reasons. I'm doing it because I want to be the best in the world and I want to be so good that you can't ignore me. And I feel like I'm on that track. PFL lightweight champion Kayla Harrison with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So if my research is accurate, you were to face, is it Jenna Fabian in 2019? Okay. Okay, yep. I pronounced her name right. See, I don't have a pronunciation guide for the PFL, Ken Flo, so don't get all over me. Uh, but both lefties, obviously, she is a familiar name. Uh, what are your thoughts on the challenge that lies ahead here? Yeah, like you said, I, I was slated to fight her in the 2019 semis. She pulled out of the fight. Um, so it's a it's a matchup I've been preparing for for a while. I feel like she's gotten better. Um, her striking's, striking's gotten um, sharper, but I, I'm not sure how her wrestling is. I feel like it's kind of your quintessential classic grappler gra uh, matchup you know it's grappler versus striker she's a tall lefty i'm a short lefty 
I'm a grappler. She's a striker. It's going to be about who can ever, whoever can impose their will. And um, I think we all know that you, everyone knows what I'm going to do, but they, they can't stop it. Your competitive pedigree is unbelievable. We're coming off a fight in which Cyril Ghosn just beat uh, Derek Lewis for the UFC's interim heavyweight championship. And we talk a lot about his physical, but his mental just seems next level. So calm, cool, and collected. And I think you get a lot of credit for that as well. Um, How does one walkout feel compared to the next in terms of knowing that you're the one with the eyeballs and the pressure all on you timeout? Every time out, I should say. I think think it gets easier. you know, I'm, I'm the type of athlete who I, I competed my whole life, you know, was judo doesn't have a season, you know, you have a, a South American tour, an Asian tour, a European tour, you're going from one tournament to the next, the next spending months living out of a suitcase competing back to back. So um, the more cage time I get, the more comfortable I get, the more it feels like this is my purpose, this is my job. And that was where I was in judo, you know, I got to the point where um, a final of a major event felt normal it felt like home it felt like my job my job to make it to the final and to win that final um so for me every walkout gets a little bit easier because i feel like this is this is my job now i'm I'm starting to become comfortable and i think that makes me even more dangerous so as many of our listeners and viewers probably know by now you are the the guardian of your niece and nephew and you sort of teased motherhood there earlier uh you came to the aid of your mom after the passing of your stepfather bob uh and man when i was reading about all of this over the last couple weeks i mean every family would benefit from having a kayla harrison i don't think we have a kayla harrison by the way but my twin brother was telling me about some of the challenges like in quarantine with these kids I don't know how you have dealt with this in, in a COVID-19 climate, but how has the whole process been sort of balancing that new challenge with your professional fighting career? Um, well, it's definitely been the biggest challenge of my life. Um, at, you know, as a, as a parent, it's the hardest um, job in the world. Also the most rewarding job in the world. I'm actually in the process of adopting them. So I just signed the paperwork for that. So that's um, very exciting, but Really, I think that everything happens for a reason. And um, I didn't know how empty my life was. I didn't know how much I needed them just as much as they needed me. And, and they've sort of filled my cup, if that makes sense. You know, it's um, the best time of my life. I've never been happier. I've never been more at peace. I've never been more exhausted. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's all really kind of... Um, it's all worked itself out. And, you know, I love them. You know, my greatest joys in life are not the two Olympic gold medals and the belts that I've got, you know, I don't even know where it is. The medals are in my sock drawer or something. Those aren't my achievements in life. It's, you know, watching my daughter dive into the pool when she was terrified of her and and watching Emery, you know, today he pointed to the number one and I'm like, Holy, he's a genius. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. See, <laughs> thankfully, I know my son's not a genius. We uh, we eliminated genius pretty early on in the process. No, he's not. He's not a genius. He's definitely a killer, though. He's going to be in Mako's uh, wrestling program pretty much. Oh, man. Heck yeah. <laughs> it's funny. You, you say. Know, St- oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you say Steve Mako, and I'm like 10 miles from him right now. It gives me anxiety just hearing you uh, say his name. Like, Mako Mondays are the best days of the week. Yeah. I, he's the best, but. Emery is like, he's two and he's in the 88th percentile for height and weight. And Kyla is eight. Right. She's ninth percentile for height and weight. So we've, I've got like a 50 pound eight year old and a 38 
pound two-year-old and he is like rough and tumble we've got mats at the house he wants to you know he wants to throw his sister around and i'm like oh man i've got a channel this it's gonna be uh he want he he they came to my fight for one of my fights they came with me because the quarantine was so long and we had mats and i was working with mike and mako and anderson and you know he starts seeing ground and pound and stuff and like seeing you doing all this stuff so he's like doing ground and pound on his stuff <laughs> trying to like double leg his sister i was like oh boy i just gotta know how he did and how you did in quarantine with a kid that young i couldn't i couldn't even imagine i mean it was uh i was really overwhelmed and really scared i was scared shitless to be honest with you the yeah first month was the scariest month of my life just because he was one and it was like I have wow. never had a kid. I don't know much about, you know, I was the fun aunt who picked them up and popped them up on sugar and then said, all right, have uh, right. Fun, you know? Yeah. Get the fuck off. out of here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like, you got to eat your vegetables. You got to eat this. You got to do that. You got to make your bed. You got to do your like, and um, especially with the two-year-old or one-year-old at the time, he couldn't communicate. So it was, it was a little scary, but yeah. we've got it down now. I'm wishing he was still a one-year-old because now he's very vocal about what he wants, when he wants, how he wants it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. He's- yeah. So, um, I, you know, I have a million questions about Kyla, but I want to be respectful of your time. I'm just curious how she's sort of doing with all the, all of the trauma sort of getting out the other side. And I guess the extent to which she likes what you do for a career or does it scare her now that she's getting a little bit older? No, she's a little badass. She's pretty you know, <laughs> she's, good. Um, She's definitely, I call her my flower child. Like she has a lot of creativity and she's a daydreamer. And like, I was, I think that's one of the hardest jobs as a parent is realizing your kids are not you, right? Like they have their own personalities, their own habits, their own little ticks and their own things. And I was always like, boom, boom. Like I came home, I did my homework. I went to judo. I did this. I did like, I was, and no one had to tell me, I just did it. Um, but I can't draw. I can't, I'm not creative. I don't have a super, superb imagination like she does um so we're all you know learning to help her thrive where she's passionate and and what she's good at and what makes her special um has been a great joy in my life but she's doing great you know she's um she's kids are so resilient man and they are so um they're stronger than they know you know and that's something I tell her every night like you're stronger than you know you know you're braver than you think you're fearless you're bold and um she has like i have positive affirmations on my mirror in my bathroom so she writes down hers like i'm confident i'm strong i'm fear like all these things and she's um she's my little warrior they both are i mean they both are and i just feel super blessed to you know i think i have a real opportunity here to kind of break the cycle um and to be a game changer in their lives and our family has a huge history of trauma but I'm still kicking. They're still kicking. And hopefully I give them a a place to, to feel safe, to feel loved, to feel secure and, and to thrive. It's amazing. Yeah, no, your story is, is a budding major motion picture. And I always joke with Kemphal, like I was supposed to break the cycle and have my kids like craving kale and not going to McDonald's. (laughs) They do not like McDonald's, right? They feel like that shit tastes fake. So maybe I've done something right. Um, but they're certainly not craving kale. I do the same thing with Kyla. She's like, She's a very picky eater. When she first moved down here, she wouldn't eat meat, wouldn't eat protein, wouldn't eat any kind of like nothing. And wow. now she eats steak, eggs, chicken, Amazing. turkey, Amazing. all 
she went from 32 pounds to 50 pounds. But I told her, I was like, McDonald's has chemicals. So it's been over Yeah, if you don't. If yeah, if you don't go to McDonald's for a long enough amount of time, you can actually taste the chemicals when you go back. So, all right, <laughs> rapid fire questions, quick oh, hits boy. here, Kayla. You can give me one word answers uh, on the way out. Which gold medal? Because I haven't done my research, at least in terms of those matches, was more challenging uh, to win for you, 2012 or 2016? 2012. All right, you're 10 and 0 as an MMA pro. Over under 20 total pro fights before your career is all said and done. Over. Oh, God, is that music to the ears of mixed martial arts fans around the world. All right, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being your mixed martial arts fighting prime, where are you right now in relation to how good you can be at your peak? Four. Wow, I'm writing that down. All right, is there any food in particular that you routinely deprive yourself of that you enjoy either during training camp or otherwise? I'm not a sadist, no. Good, I love it. Uh, Do you lease... Five pounds, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you lease or own your car? Own. See, because, like, I won't let myself buy nutty buddies at the grocery store because I'll just fucking eat all of them. All right, who's going to win the UFC heavyweight title unification bout, Francis Ngannou or Cyril Gan? Gan. Do you have a favorite sports team or a favorite fighter to watch? Uh, I mean, I'm a Boston girl, so all the Boston teams go Sacks. Um, well, yeah, we, you know, we love that as two guys who live the first 30 years of our lives in, uh, in the great state of Massachusetts. And we were both born there. So, uh, good stuff. All right. Well, we know you're not, no, please go ahead. Sorry. That was my favorite fighter growing up was Frankie Edgar. Yeah, man. I kind of want to get that F E tattoo just to honor that man. Total legend. <laughs> but see for us, Massachusetts folks, there's a little too much Jersey, Frankie. I love you. <laughs> Um, I, would, right. I would forget about that, but you're like, like a grown man getting a tattoo of another grown man symbol on your <laughs> I have a history, though. No, well, no, but see, they're multi-purpose, right? Because Effie, it would actually be the, the iron symbol, right? And I can lean into, you know, the multi-purpose. Um, all right, Kayla Harrison, PFL lightweight champion. We know you're not focused on your contract. Uh, a couple fights left, but selfishly, I do hope to see you one day in the UFC and to get the chance to call a fight of yours, but you can be sure. Uh, we will all be watching August 19th, uh, and we appreciate your time today and hope to uh, talk to you sometime on the other side. Thank you, Kayla. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Kayla. All right, you can find her on social media. You see the handles there at the bottom of the page, Kayla Harrison. I've admired her from afar, Kenny, for so long, and that was even before you know she got into the motherhood game because of some of the circumstances that she was dealing with. And um, she's just a total inspiration, like for a parent like me. And then to learn this morning that she was in quarantine with like a one or two year old. I mean, bro, the, the whole thing is an amazing story. And you know, again, I think that her whole attitude, her championship attitude, the way that she sees life, the way that she sees competition. Uh, just spreads out into everything she does. Um, and uh, she is going to be very difficult to beat inside the cage. Um, and what she's doing outside of it is extremely impressive. And how she has stepped up for her family is amazing. And uh, can't wait to see her compete. She's actually going to compete on the 27th. Um, so we have the the next three semifinals coming up. She's on the 27th of August against Jenna Fabian. And uh, I unfortunately will be missing that one. Wow. Definitely will be will be watching. Um she's she's savage, man.
man, you know, I do all this fucking research, you know, she's not even <laughs> fighting the, yeah. 10 days from now, you know, I mean, I believe it's the 20th. My sources are not good. All right. Well, either way, I may try to get in the building depending on my schedule, but, uh, very much enjoyed talk- talking to Kayla Harrison today. She's not fucking competing on August 19th. So, uh, she, she might be, she might be. I, I mean, mean, there's nothing Cody Merrow can do to make me look good when it comes to that edit. We'll have so, Cody. Uh, can, we, can you look at that? Can we, can we research that? All right. Yeah. All right, anicfloriumpodcast.com for all of your merchandise needs. You can also access both the audio and video versions of the program there. Kenny Florian's YouTube channel is flowing as well if you want to uh, get a deeper dive into the jujitsu stuff. By the way, did you, uh, I don't know if you muted the broadcast while you were watching this weekend, but did you notice uh, my comment about Michael Chiesa getting back in the gi a couple of fights ago? Did you hear me say that by no, chance? No, I, did. I didn't hear that. So for the majority of his UFC career, he listed himself on his UFC bio as a Luis Claudio white belt in Brazilian okay. Jiu-Jitsu, right? And okay. you know, obviously, his credentials extend well beyond that, but he hasn't that. trained yeah. in the gi for years. So after he got submitted by Anthony Showtime Pettis, who is a legitimate Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, um, he didn't feel very good about that. So he got back in the gi and now he has elevated to the level of purple belt. But now gi jiu-jitsu fundamentally has become a big part of his last two training camps. That's interesting. Um, wow. And of course, now this comes on the heels of a result that did not go his way. I'm not sure that, you know, that gi or no gi training had anything right. to do with what happened against Vicente Luque. But I just thought it was interesting um, cool. in an era where seemingly to me, eight of nine fighters I talked to are getting out of the gi. Um, yeah. one of the real good choke artists in the game is getting back in it. So I don't know. That's pretty cool, man. I, I love it. Did he, you train? He's, a, he's an excellent grappler, man. He made a mistake, uh, you know, against Luke. But again, I don't think that's necessarily attributed to his training in the gi or not, but right, I would right, say this, right. that, um, you know, myself, I don't think it's a necessity to train in the gi. I think there are definite benefits to that. I think for him, um, you know, it, it's a little bit more challenging. There's a lot more to worry about. A lot of other things you need to um, do with the gi. And uh, yeah, and oh, Cody just chimed in. Uh, John Anik, you, you're the man, dude. You you are correct. It is on the 19th of August. You're, you're right. Unbelievable, you're right. man. You know, By I'm way, sitting here. Did, did hey. you see? Did you see Kayla Harrison like mouth the words? She's like, "You're good." Did you see that? Did you see that? By no. the way. No. Yeah, you 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 were doing you know, obviously you always do your research. Uh and you mentioned, you know, her stepdad Bob who passed away and all that. And she yeah. was like Well, hey, you missed that. I appreciate that. Um yeah. but we uh we don't have a lot of guests on this program and and part of the reason why is because I spend a a lot of my professional life outside of this podcast interviewing pro fighters, so I want to sit here and talk shit and swear and be a dick with my man, Ken Flo, So we don't always do that. But um, if you do want to hear from more high profile fighters, hammer away at Anik Florian pod on Instagram, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and, and we can make that happen for you selectively. Um, but it will be August 19th. You know, here I am promoting, you know, the pioneers fighting legion out of my ears and uh ken flo's got his dates messed up so that would mean that you're calling kayla harrison's fight on august i am right? i am we're right. very excited about it. yes all right it's good i thought i thought it was um because typically yeah. they always would go last but I, i'm right. glad i'm gonna be able to do all right. that all right pokemon fight league eight august 19th <laughs> <laughs> just, I, credit to cody merrill for that one i can't steal uh credit for that i wanted oh, to ask did you train in the gi did you train in the gi your entire UFC career no yeah I you actually, didn't either I didn't train I I took the gi off man every once in a while I would put on I would put it on for something fun for a day yeah. or two 
but um, I, I, I didn't. And, and I tell a lot of fighters ask me, hey, do I do you think I should be training in the gi if I want to be an MMA fighter or if I'm you know training for MMA fights? And I always say, absolutely not. You don't have to. I think yeah. in some cases it could hurt you because you become reliant on grips and things that aren't going to be there during the fight. Yeah. Um, so but but there are other advantages. There are other things that help you as well. But yeah. All right, good stuff today. Hope we did not offend too many people. Thanks to Ray Longo and Kayla Harrison. Thanks to Cody Merrow, our executive producer and jack of all trades. For Kenny Florian, I'm John Anik. We thank you all for watching and listening. We are right back in your life next Monday. We'll preview UFC Fight Night, Cannoneer versus Gastelum. Uh, until then, don't text and drive. Better yet, just put your phone down when you're driving. And uh, and Patty Militich, if you're out there listening and you watch the news lately, man, I'm, out, I'm in Florida, man. We, we might have to put our masks back on. So, uh... Don't be afraid to watch the news. Fake news travels six times faster than real news. Yell later. At the tone, please record your message. This question is for John Anik from the Bane. I'm curious, John, how much are you benching these days? Is it upwards of 400? My guess is around the fives. Have a good one. Ken, be blessed, baby. At the tone, please record your message. John Anik, you are the best in color commentary. There's no doubt about it. Kenny Florian, PFL is lucky to have you. I don't know how you're getting more attractive with age, but on the judging, why don't we go back to the, in John's own words, we always hear it's beginning at every pay-per-view. It's about striking, grappling, aggression, and octagon control. And then John makes the point to say in that order. I'm not saying we're, we missed anything, but why don't we go back and talk about the striking comes before the grappling. So if you have the better, say it's a half round, there's a better striker. And in the second half, a better grappler. I feel like the striker is supposed to win that. And that's kind of why I gave that fight to Corey Sanhagen. Thanks, guys. At the tone, please record your message. Hey guys, um, I'd love to hear your take on uh, if each of you could make one change to the sport, um, what would it be? Some things that come to mind are uh, open scoring, um, changing the number of judges, the training for the judges, um, how the judges watch the fight, like on a monitor versus live, or something else. I'd love to hear what you think. Love the show, guys. See ya. At the tone, please record your message. Hey, Anik, uh, Florian, I just got to say, man, you guys fucking rock. You bring joy to my heart, man. This podcast you got going on, it is absolutely fan-fucking-tastic. Now, listen, man, I've been a fight fan since I had to rent VHS tapes to watch Hoist Gracie in the beginning, you know. But, you know, I don't think I've missed a card. Damn it. At the tone, please record your message. Anik, Anik, I just got to say, man, I fucking absolutely love the uh, podcast you got going on with the legend Ken Flo. You guys bring joy to my heart, man. Uh, I don't think I've missed a fight card in five years. And next to the fights, you guys are my favorite part of the week. So keep it up, guys. I fucking love you guys, man. Thank you very much. God bless. At the tone, please record your message. You know, as a military service member, 
I agree. It is much harder to carry a child out and about in Disney World than it is to carry our gear. Do not let anybody tell you otherwise. Lay on, players. <laughs>